0: the Kingdom of God series still making good progress. If you look at the back and bottom of your outline, you will see the 15 chapter titles, so you can have a general sense of the direction we're going, and each chapter will be one to as many as a dozen weeks so there's going to be parts A, parts B, parts C, and in some cases there'll be C1 and C2. We are actually doing today uh chapter 3, major biblical themes. And so we're on chapter 3D, but we're on the second week of chapter 3D. So this is actually 3D2. Two. Uh two people groups. What's that? Yeah, you get three, you should have some 3D glasses. That would make the whole experience better. <laughs> um So 3D2, now I don't have time to, last week I didn't get as far as I want, as I often do this, I often try to review because, you know, it's summer, people are on vacations, people are missing, Uh, you know, so I I do try to to review. Uh, I'm not going to do any of that with chapters 1, 2, or 3AB or C today, and I'm just going to uh, jump right into reviewing 3B, Cain, Abel, and Seth, because what, Cain, Abel, and Seth represent in the Bible, uh, as we're going to see as we go on with studying covenants, God is a, a maker of covenants, and all of what he does flows out of regal heads. In other words, uh, God has always wanted to have a people for himself born, if you remember this is part of the chapter 2, the definitions of the kingdom, born of one royal or regal head, uh, And who who uh, represent that king's dominion, represent that king's purposes, his glory, his spirit, his law, uh, his view of economics, etc., and to fill the earth therefore with his glory. And so uh, the uh, Cain, Abel, and Seth are very very significant because they are regal heads, they're fountain heads under their father Abraham, or Adam, I'm sorry, not Abraham, their father Adam. I think you're just used to saying Abraham when you throw out the word father. Uh, Adam, uh, after he fell, it, uh, it guaranteed that the, all his descendants would be born into sin. But because God had slayed the animal, given him uh, a, a foreshadowing of atonement and reconciled Adam and Eve to himself, uh, it was inevitable that some of their kids would grow up being grafted by the Lord by faith into faith always works through grace, uh, that he would graciously graft some by faith into the kingdom, but the others would follow their sin nature and begin to form what the Bible calls the world system. And from from the beginning of Cain, Abel and, and Seth, Abel represents, uh, as we covered last week, the first prophet in the earth. Uh, he's a type of Christ, much like uh, Adam's type of Christ. If you've never considered what the statement in Hebrews that that the blood of Abel, the blood of Christ, speaks better than that better than the blood of Abel, there's three ways in which it does so, which we covered last week. You can listen to it on the podcast and follow it along in your notes. However, um. After Abel's death, Cain gives birth to the line of wickedness, the line of darkness, the people of this world, the people of Satan, uh, the the kingdoms of this world. Cain becomes the father of that line. God, of course, had to replace Abel. So let's um, pick it up by just flipping over to the top of your second page, And it says, Seth becomes the federal head of the people of Yahweh, just like our last point on the first page was that Cain becomes the federal head of the people of the world. In other words, Cain represents man's attempt to save himself. Remember, he brought brought the fruit of the ground, and he justified himself, and he did the same kind of excuse-making, blame-shifting that worldly people always do. It's my wife's fault. It's God's fault. It's Sir, the sun was in my eyes. I had a bad day. Whatever, but not, but not coming clean, not confessing, not uh, not opening up the truth, not being proactive. Uh, you know, of course, it's always a bad sign when when the Lord, through His, his Word, Spirit, or or Church, has to even confront you about your sin because you didn't take the initiative to bring it to the light yourself. And so. Um, Cain uh when God confronts him, just like he came and confronted adam and eve cain's like his uh story was well i 'm not my brother 's keeper, and uh, people have been quoting that philosophy ever since uh, in fact, you hear a lot i I do what 's right for me, I look out for me, myself, and I, uh, so forth you know i um, you know, part of the what's called the politics of guilt and pity, the reason people want to vote for political solutions to, to social justice issues is because as long as, you know, they just steal a little of my money at, uh, and then a little more and then a little more, <laughs> and, and it keeps growing at, out of my paycheck, let the government take care of, of social justice. Let the government take care of poor people. Let the government take care. Care of needy people and so forth. It's kind of an ultimate cop out because you know what? As the Christian, you're called to do it. You're the one that's supposed to teach people to read and and disciple people out of the culture of poverty and and lead people to the ultimate richness, which is the the knowledge of of the Lord Jesus Christ and so forth. So uh, Cain kind of gives birth to the self righteous uh, save ourselves uh, and and uh, that. That, um, that line has threefold anger and en- enmity. The first enmity is they have enmity against God within themselves. Secondly, they have enmity uh, against others. And they're always dividing, you know, they can't even get along in their own families or, or uh, tribes or whatever. And then there's always, uh, and then finally, they have enmity against themselves. Uh, the you know the the bible says in proverbs that those who hate god wisdom which is of course jesus is the personification of wisdom love death sin inside of you is actually to kill you and uh whether it's through slow means you know like unhealthy lifestyle habits or whether it's through bitterness and unforgiveness uh whether it's through being rebellious uh all these things are types of sins that open the door to, to the destruction of life. Sin gives birth to death. And, uh, and uh, it will work its way through you till it kills you. So along comes, uh, so that, that's Cain, because I, I forgot that we hadn't covered him much last week as far as that aspect of being a federal head. Seth becomes the federal head of the people of Yahweh. Genesis 4, 25 through 26. Let's read this. Adam had relations with his wife again, and she gave birth to a son and named him Seth. For she said, God has appointed me another offspring in place of Abel. That's very important. In place of Abel. Abel was righteous. Abel uh, learned from his father and mother without the shedding of blood. There is no sacrifice. Uh, That's why on the previous page, when you read about Abel, in the uh in Hebrews the first reference in hebrews eleven four God testified about Abel's gifts that they were a better sacrifice than cain that that his gifts through faith uh because faith is not some nebulous thing that we think it is. we've kind of destroyed that word in the church today. Faith is yeah, I agree with the Trinity and the authority of scripture and da 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 faith in the Bible is clinging to relying on following in such a way that you deny yourself to give way to who you have trust and faith in. You die to self so that you may live to who you have faith in. And everybody is exercising faith. If you don't, if you don't exercise faith in the Word of God, the Spirit of God, you are actually exercising faith in your own reason, you know, when you actually reject the, the, any of the tools of grace God is giving you to guide you, the word, the spirit, and the authorities he's put in your life, beginning in the church and the family is foundational, but including things like the business world. When you reject these things, you're actually rejecting God in favor of your own opinion. I have discipled many a troubled person who I can tell when I'm discipling them, they even are listening and deferential on a certain level, but deep inside they're saying, he's full of crap. Uh, I believe this way, I'm right, uh, this and that and that. And usually those people stay in sort of a kind of bondage until they get humble enough to hear the scriptures, the Holy Spirit, and the valid leadership that God puts in their life and embrace it. And uh, that's really what Cain gave birth to. Uh, Seth, of course, is in place of Abel, and Abel had had trust in in the revelation of God. We don't even know, it's only a speculation, whether God actually showed Abel anything directly by his spirit, or if he just learned from Adam and Eve. But Abel had faith. Remember, Eve said, the serpent said, indeed hath God said. Abel said, yes, he has said. (laughs) Everybody gets, indeed, hath God said, speaking to their heart and their mind and so forth, to try to undermine the ways God's word is coming to you. The, the faithful are people who humble themselves before the word of God. Who tre- the Bible says, blessed is he who trembles at God's word. And so Abel said, okay, uh, gee, Adam and Eve are telling me that all this iniquity that I find in my heart and that I see in my brother and so forth is coming from from this sin that they committed. And there's this sin nature and God made a provision for them by slaying an animal and shedding his blood. And, and he covered them with skins when they had tried to cover themselves with with uh, plants. And we, we no longer bring plants to cover ourselves before the Lord. We bring, the, we bring uh, animal offerings so that we foreshadow the one atonement that's going to come, and he, he gets all that. So he becomes kind of the first a foreshadower of Christ and a prophet of Christ. And uh, so Seth actually replaces Abel. So he's got that same faith in himself. And Seth is a godly man. And again, so God is, you know, Eve says, God has appointed me another offspring in place of Abel, for Cain killed him. To, to Seth, Tim, to also a son was born, and he called his name Enosh. Then, at that time, men began to call on the presence of God, or on the name of the Lord. Name means presence, in, 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 in identity and identity, and so forth. The person of God, they began to seek to know God. Because, of course, darkness had entered into the earth through sin, and God used to come and walk in the cool of the garden with Adam and Eve and commune with them and so forth, and they had perfect fellowship. That's all been lost. They've been excommunicated from the garden. The way to it has been sealed, and there's no access anymore to the tree of life, who is, of course, the tree of life is Christ. And so... um, they now are waiting for the tree of life to come and be born as a man and so forth. So um, those who are of the godly line begin to seek the Lord. In other words, Lord, come to us, come inside us. They, they begin to be saved, according to Ephesians 2.8, by grace working through faith. And those who God opens up their eyes, uh, it's totally by his choice. They didn't earn it. They are saved the same way you are, except their faith is in the future fulfillment of God. But ultimately, your faith is that God is who he says he is, and you completely trust in God, and that God has said he will make atonement, and that he will save you. And so their faith is actually not much different from ours, because ultimately, the people of faith are the people who don't listen to that inner voice that says, indeed, if God said anymore." and their faith is in who God says he is and who what his word says he is and they've stopped uh trusting in themselves and they've stopped being control freaks and they've stopped trying to be God and they've surrendered to the Lord and said you are my lord i will obey your word i will obey your character i will obey your spirit i will obey uh, the the people you put in my life that are of God i will obey uh the you know, this, the revealed will of God as you see it, not as I judge it to be. As you reveal yourself. So that's who, who Seth begins is, and that's, uh, he begins to birth a line of people that include Enosh. And as you go through the Seth line, it goes eventually to a guy named Enoch. And Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. Enoch... Uh, was so close to the lord that god just took him directly and that speaks volumes of course of uh, christ in the ascension and uh, and moses and elijah and, and appearing to uh to, with christ in the in the, the mount of transfiguration and all that kind of stuff so uh enosh gives birth to a guy that most of us know named methuselah and uh, i forget i forget the order now we could look it up but i'm i'm pretty sure that um, I think uh, Methuselah is is uh, Noah's great-grandfather. Uh, I think Enoch is the great-great-grandfather, if I remember. And so this line of people starts to develop in the earth. Uh, and, it, and the godly people uh, are few and far between because not everyone born of the godly line. God has no grandchildren. And just being born into a Christian family won't lead you to Christ. Uh, one of the tragic things, is whenever you're living in a cultural time, when the culture is getting more and more ungodly, when the Christianity is getting less and less uh, content and so forth, you get more and more people raised in the faith who walk away from the faith. Some people say the estimates are 45 to 70% of, people, of young people being raised in Christian homes are leaving the faith as adults. And so, and by the way... Before you judge anybody about that, consider this: Adam was god 's direct son. i don't think the Lord had to read any books from James Dobson, though I love James Dobson <laughs> on how to uh and how to be a better father i you know i don't think God was up there in heaven saying, boy i can't wait till the modern times when there's books on on Christian fatherhood that I could read you know I don't know how to how to disciple this Adam guy." I don't think any of that actually happened. I think God was a perfect father, yet Adam turned. And God offered his fatherhood to all the descendants in Adam and Eve, but Cain did not take it. So I do believe in bringing up your children in the fear of the Lord. I do believe you'll if, if you're more more intentional about it and if you're aggressive enough, your odds are greater, but I don't think there's any guarantee. God, Jacob I loved, Esau I hated. Uh, you know, Cain, Cain came from Adam and Eve, the same as Abel did, and Seth. So, but that which is godly in the earth comes mostly out of Seth's line, and the wickedness of the non-Seth line grows and grows. So this process goes all the way through to Noah. Then the wickedness in the earth is so great that um, um, God basically decides to wipe out man, but of course he has an eternal purpose. We'd studied in earlier in the chapter in the covenant history part and so forth, and the covenant theology part. God had a, what some people call the redemptive covenant eternally in the Godhead, that he's working out what some people call the covenants of grace in in the earth, and I think it's all one and the same. But God has this purpose, and His purpose cannot be thwarted or changed. So there will all, just like when Satan came before the throne of God, uh, which uh, most likely happened before Noah, and he says, "Have you, con- uh, you you know look at the earth? It's so wicked." And God says, "Have you considered my servant Job?" In other words, God, Jesus is always making intercession for us, and there's always going to be a godly people. That's kind of part of the whole spiritual warfare thing, where God can always say, hey, I have 7,000 that have not bowed the knee to Baal. He's able to say to Elijah, when Elijah's... I do like this about Elijah. I I struggle with discouragement about where our culture's at, about how hard it is to grow mature Christians now, about how slow the progress is. It's a dark time, frankly. It's a very dark time. And Elijah, you know, it's amazing because he had this boldness of faith to do the whole thing where he killed the prophets of Baal after he said, let's see who God will offer by, will respond by fire. And the next day he's running for his life from Jezebel because he's totally overcome by the spirit of Jezebel and totally afraid and totally in unbelief. And he's like, Lord, they've killed your prophets, they've persecuted your prophets, they've torn down your altars, I alone am left. Take me, Lord, kill me, Lord. And, uh, and the Lord's like, quit whining. <laughs> so that sounds like my wife. But uh, quit whining and believe God. I've got 7,000 that have not bowed the knee to Baal. God always has a people that are faithful. He's always got some that are like Ezra and Nehemiah that are pioneering back to rebuild the temple the way it's supposed to be. The Lord always has that. And that's in spite of us. It's not because of us that God has those kind of people. It's because of God's eternal covenantal purposes. Now, after Noah, of course, Noah has three sons. uh, 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 Shem, Ham, and Japheth. And in general, the Shem becomes the godly line that came through Adam, through Seth, through Enoch, through Methuselah, through Lamech, through all the way to Noah, etc. And Seth's people become the Yahwehist in the earth. If you study the, the genealogies in Matthew 1 and... Luke 3, and if you study in 1 Chronicles and in in Genesis, people always go, I hate the genealogies. And frankly, I skim them for the most part. But I try over time as I read my Bible to to at least know the big names and why they're important, because they're the lineage of Christ. They're very important, because you wouldn't be worshiping today if it hadn't been for Shem. And he wasn't just a Three Stooges character for the... (laughs) So, uh, you know, so um, after Noah, there's the Shem line that goes to Abraham all the way through to Christ, and there's the Ham and Japheth line that, that begin to spread the, the religion of man and so forth, and out of them, the most important figure is Ham. Who rebels against the lord he he try uncovers his father's nakedness he rejoices in his father's uh shortcomings and sin you always you always get uh, uh a little bit of knowledge about where people are at with God and, and how they relate to their father and mother how they relate to their you know genuine authorities in their life teachers whatever pastors uh so um through the Hamline comes this guy named Nimrod, and Nimrod is uh, basically uh, kind of almost like a Christ figure on in reverse. You know, he's almost like you remember that at the crucifixion, uh, Pilate cries out, "Do you want do you want uh, the Jesus, the Messiah, or do you want Barabbas?" And of course, Barabbas means son of the father. Which son of the father do you want? And humanistic man. Barabbas was a political man. Barabbas said, I want a a revolution. We want to throw the Romans out politically. We want to bring the kingdom of God by the voting box and by by laws and by government control and so forth. And it's always that choice, Christ or Caesar, Christ or Barabbas. And Nimrod is, is kind of the prototypical everyman, worldly man. And he wants, to, he has what is in the heart of ungodly man. Let me make a name for ourselves. Let me raise my throne above the throne of heaven. Just like the, Satan said, if, and, and you can read about that in Ezekiel 28 and Isaiah 14. Let me have first place. Paul talks about certain guys who had, they, they could, couldn't fit into his team anymore because they desired to be first. there's always this process. In Nimrod, uh, they, then they said, come let us build ourselves a city and a tower which with its top into heaven, and let us make a name for ourselves. Now that goes a long way to explain TV Christianity and a lot of what's going on in our Christian culture today. Because of the excessive division of churches after churches after churches, You know, the reason we have plurality of eldership, the reason we have creeds, the reason we have historical orthodoxy and stuff is because what's happened in the church today is most churches, the authority is based on the charisma of one guy and not necessarily the godly character of that guy. And that's, um, you know, that's a shame. The truth of the matter is it's the Lord's church and if Brother Greg screws up, God could kill me, and the church is still his. <laughs> it, it, and then the creeds are still true. The communion is still true. The, you know, the scripture readings are still true. The leadership God raises up by his spirit is still true. And it's, it, and it's nothing about one guy but nimrod is is of the culture of the one guy he's the nba players of today like in your face and i'm so great and boastful and and uh, he he's kind of he's the spirit of this age and of course all man's religion from from beginning with adam and eve putting vines on themselves and cain bringing produce they want to build a tower into heaven speaking of all man's religions get down to worshiping serving the creature rather than the creator and man's attempts to fix himself the essence of sin is to be a control freak okay the essence of sin is is I did it my way it's probably the you know the greatest demonic song of all time doesn't necessarily mean you don't, you can, not, you can still enjoy that he had a nice singing voice, but he wasn't exactly worshiping Jesus with it, <laughs> uh, you know? And uh, I don't know that you'll necessarily get demons if you listen to the music, as long as in your mind, you can say, this is not a Christian message. This is not what I believe. This is not, I'm, I'm not about doing it my way. That's the essence of sin. Now, interestingly, not only do they want to make a name for themselves, but they say, lest we be dispersed across the whole earth. That is huge. Like those local <laughs> terrible car communion commercials that when they have the little kids go, it's going to be huge. It, it was huge. They did not want to spread out. God said, be fruitful, multiply, subdue the earth. He actually put four rivers in Eden, two of which we still have, the Tigris and Euphrates, the other two were lost in the flood. But, but they were to export the people of God and the kingdom of God to the whole earth. You know, people think this is nuts, but you know, my goal is behind the scenes, I'm discipling, discipling, and stifling, because I want, by the time we get to be 100 people, I hope we have about 15 shepherds with another 15 shepherds in training. So everyone can always have a qualified person to help them grow, to model the Christian life for them, okay? But when we get to be 100 people, we'll also stand before the church and say, hey, we're gonna build a church in Columbus or we're gonna build a church in Xenia. Those are the two places I have targeted. And the Xenia one will have outreaches at Central State and at Cedarville College. That will be amazing because that'll be like an underground thing. But... Uh, <laughs> Um, and you know, then we'll, we'll do one in Columbus at Ohio State. If you, if we can make this kids rock this this vision of having married couples with families, which we're going to start to work on this summer more with a, a flyer outreach and so forth. If we can uh, have uh, university students who grow who get discipled and start having weddings and and start entering their vocational calling, much like the churches in Bowling Green and the first church I did in Dayton grew and the, the and so forth. Uh, if we can if we can combine that with inner city ministry to kids that that doesn't just have eventually right now we have three programs kids rock club well four kids rock club uh, the re- reading program to kindergartners the uh, whiz kids and then uh, bringing kids to church on Sunday morning and and some people are, have already started to officially become mentors of kids and so forth and we're working. We're, we are working hard at studying and understanding how to bring catechism to another level. And uh, I can't really report on that. John and Emily know a lot about that if you want to talk to somebody about it. And there's a couple books that I recommended to people if you want to learn more about that. But you know what? One of the things we found when our kids grew up in, in, in like today's mega churches that have the, the whole Bible story approach to Sunday school, there's some reasons why that has, has had really bad fruit over time. And uh, going back to the old-fashioned way of catechizing kids uh, is something we're, we're all about and studying a lot, right? Believe me, what we have to have eventually is, is a thing that I hope Kids Rock House will be the banner, but where there's, uh, and you know, Terry and I are already talking about it if, as he grows in the Lord and, and so forth. Uh, I don't know if this will be one year, two years, three, four years, but eventually we want to have a, a, like an investment class for the, the kids. It's kids that are tracking with Kids Rock House and with Kids Rock Club and this kind of thing uh, who are coming on Sunday mornings that once a year we will start a little team, five kids, three kids. Uh, you, hopefully it'll eventually grow to 20 or 30 kids where they actually get uh, every time they come to the meeting, just like when you show up for work, you get a paycheck. They would get a, of course, paper money, paycheck, Monopoly money, or whatever, and uh, and they would then in, learn how to budget, do a budget book, a planner, pay their bills, and most importantly, invest. And we'd actually have different investment categories, like who made the most money in one year. But that's not always uh, the wisest strategy. So we'd also have you know some other winners. But you know that we, I want to have a junior achievement. That is, I want to have a business here for kids where they learn about business by having their own business. I actually was part of a junior achievement program when I was in junior high or so, where we made hangers and sold them. You know, you, we, we could, uh, my hope is that we would actually uh, fix up computers and then sell them to, uh, to public schools or, or whatever that, you know, where, where it could be a win-win that, that schools that don't have enough money for computers and so forth. But anyway, I'm tying all that into the, you know, we want to have a culture. And then if we can do that here, honestly, Columbus has um, in closer proximity than Dayton. Dayton, you have to go four miles to Wright State, three miles to UD, three miles to Sinclair. In Columbus, within one mile to two miles circumference in what we call the neighborhood, you've got Ohio State University, you've got major ghetto areas, and you've got Upper Arlington, one of the richest cities in the, in the country like like our Oakwood and all all there within in, within a mile. Believe me, if we can do this here, we can send a team of ten or fifteen to do it there now tie that all back to what in Babel what they wanted was to not go anywhere they want they would have said no let's just keep growing our church into thousands before we start sending. And I don't ever want to send just a missionary couple. There's all kinds of problems with that model, which has really struggled, and it's really hard on the missionary couple. I want to send 8, 10, 12, or 15 people at a time. Now, all you have to do is stand have that vision within yourself as you're growing, so people are thinking about it. And then eventually say, it seems like the Lord's opening up the doors for Columbus. Anybody interested? See the elders and uh, coordinate that. And, you know, who knows? But you can start with a, already having a worship team. What took us five, really seven, ten years to develop, you can start with. Now, in Babel, they had the opposite spirit. Let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be scattered over the face of the earth. So they wanted to build one mega city, and that city had the religion of man. The the whole Tower of Babel thing represents man's attempts to build himself to God rather than submitting to God's salvation. You know, as Paul says of the Jews, one of the great interesting things as we study this two peoples through through the scripture and we continue next week hopefully to get into creation and, and why why creation is all important and and goes all the way through scripture and therefore you you can't reject creation and have any bible left as we get in into this we'll we'll see that uh, that uh, the the whole um, Tower of Babel thing and the whole not wanting to be dispersed over the face of the earth and the whole build a way up to God, it's in the nature of of man's sin so much that that was also Israel's problem. See, Israel becomes the people of God, but the whole point of God's working with Israel and the reason he gave them the law is to show them that they too Needed a savior. That they too could not be saved by works. That they needed to be saved by grace, working through faith. And those of the people of Israel who were the real Israel within Israel uh, were the people who approached God by faith, uh, by grace, working through faith. So there was always a uh, there was always those who were born of the faith of Abraham among those who are descended from the genetics of Abraham. Jesus talks about that in John 8. Uh, Paul talks about that in Romans 4. But what happens is that the biological Israel thinks that they're above, above judgment and so forth, and they start having the same things in them that, that, that Babel had. Eventually, so deeply that Jesus says, I'm taking the kingdom from you and giving to a nation producing the fruit. That's coming up in future messages. So hopefully we get how this process goes. So after Babel, what God does is he, you know, the Lord himself says, by the way, this is not what the Babylonians said, the Lord himself says uh, that he needs to come down and do something about this uh, because if, uh, because the whole, country, the whole humanity being of one language and one city In in having this anti-God thing in their heart, the Lord says there is nothing they won't be able to do. Now, let me give you an interesting fact. In modern times, listen to this. In modern times, there was an invention called the battery. Most of you use lots of them. (laughs) Cell phones, garage door openers. I got little lights that are battery oriented over my chair in my study. Batteries. Do you realize that within 90 years of the modern discovery of the battery, because in modern times, through the study of other languages, through English and German and certain languages becoming the most scientific language through through modern journals, the ability uh, that was lost at Babel is becoming is coming back to man to share knowledge, to share scientific breakthroughs, to share technological breakthroughs. So the rate of technological increase is growing and growing and growing, to the point where, it, if you look at, you know, technology today, it's almost like in Star Wars where they go into hyperspace. Like things are changing so fast, it's like. I, You know, like, why buy something today? Because three months later, it'll be better and cheaper and and do 10 times more things. And, you know, I'm waiting for a cell phone that can make my breakfast. And, uh, (laughs) you know, so uh, in in, uh, modern times, the battery was created. Ninety years later, the first atomic bomb was exploded. Do you know that when they excavated where they think the Tower of Babel was, That they found working batteries that had been defended or that had been invented in ancient times. So when God says, "Unless I do something about this, there will be nothing that they can't do," God had again. He has this eternal redemptive covenant purpose that He and He was going to bring Christ in the fullness of times at His time. And had He not gone down and confused their languages and, and spread them throughout the earth? so that they couldn't share their technologies as much and so forth, we probably would have had the atomic bomb about a 1,000 years before Caesar. Think about that. So God comes down, and he he takes the, the, the wicked people. He confuses their languages, and he takes those. They're all born of one blood. They're all descended from Adam and Eve and through Noah and his sons, and he scatters them. Over to you know to the Philippines to North America to Central America South America whatever he s- scatters them and their languages. Now immediately men start trading from one culture to another and learning languages and so forth. So he never needed like tongues to spread the gospel like some people believe. But it was a big setback to man's kingdom organizing itself in hatred against God's kingdom because the kingdoms of this world are destined to become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ. But that's not their intention. Their intention would be to become the one kingdom under Antichrist. Man has always had it in his heart to unite the whole world outside of Christ. That was Alexander the Great's vision. That was Hitler's vision. That was Genghis Khan's vision. There have always been men that that was the Roman Empire's vision, by the way, Caesar. The reason he was called uh, Caesar is Lord and uh, the son of God and so forth. Do you, do you realize that how, how a lot of the Christians got arrested is in the Roman Empire, when you ran into a government official or a, or a soldier or whatever, they would greet you with the greeting, Caesar is Lord. And you had to respond with, yes, Caesar is Lord. And the Christians couldn't do that. Because the heart of, of sinful man from the Tower of Babel on has always been uh, great big governments that, that become the paternal uh, savior state. As a offering to the glory of man and the gods of, created by man, all the ancient nations had had their gods, but they also had their emperors, and the emperor was was a, was the son of God. That was true in Sumer and Babylon, and in fact, that takes us down to uh, point D here. All through Mesopotamia, Sumer, Babylon, Egypt, the Medes, the Persians, etc., they had man centered salvation in this world. Verse by the way of the socialistic paternal state with planned economies. You know, George Santillano, who was uh, born in Spain, but uh, educated at at Harvard and at at Cambridge, he was uh, a philosophy professor at Harvard for a long time. He basically said those who forget or don't study or, or, or forget the past are condemned to repeat it. I'm so amazed that almost every modern government of the world wants to solve problems by go- more government, by more taxation, by more programs. By so- That's what the ancient world did, and that's what Christianity liberated man progressively from. All the way through to the early days of this country. In the colonial times, the basic unit of univ- government was the individual, the family. In, in terms of the civil government, it was counties, not even colonies that became states. The, uh, the, the colonial, the, the 16th, 17th, 18th century, uh, 17th, 18th century Americans would have not even wanted as much, uh, as strong a government that we have in the Constitution. They wouldn't even have wanted the state, each state to have that strong a central government because they understood the sinful nature of man, and that man's heart is corruptible all the time. And the bigger the government, the less chance of restraining it. You know, those of you who are involved in the pro-life movement, I think you understand that you've been over 40 years laboring to pray, to, to bring about political action, whatever but we don't have a government that the people can can influence that easy because the central government is too strong. That's what you had in every ancient kingdom of the world. That's what Nebuchadnezzar was all about. That's what Cyrus the Persian and Darius the Mede, and, or Darius, I think it's pronounced, or no, Darius is how they pronounce it, Darius, and, um, Nowadays, you can listen to the Bible by guys who know how to pronounce things. Um, so, Darius. But they, they, in other words, the ancient state was totalitarian. They had emperor worship, idol worship, polytheism, humanism. And always they were the persecutors of the people of God who stood for some sort of freedom under God. Who, who wanted the basic unit of government to be the self-government of the redeemed man, who wanted another basic unit of government to be the redeemed family, who didn't want the megastate controlling them because the megastate always has their gods, and their gods are not our god. Every megastate had their gods, and the emperor was a god, and usually the son of the god Dagon and the Philistines and Moloch worship. You know what Moloch worship was about? It's the spirit behind abortion. If you don't know Moloch worship, then you don't know how to pray about abortion, because praying about abortion includes learning about what's called intercessory prayer probably get out of time. I'd like to give a plug for my, if, if you, I, I totally understand why we have so many people doing like systematic theology and this class, the 930. And I, I get it that not a lot of people can come on Wednesday nights. I never intended that. I'm glad that three or four or five guys come and that we record them. But they are on podcast and we do need to learn how to pray more effectively as a church. There's prayer and then there's effective prayer. And this comes out of 40 years of studying what it means to pray more effectively. The Bible makes it clear that that Elijah was a man with a nature like you. Put in your name, James Davis or Tony or Kent or Emily. Elijah was a man with a nature like us. And when he prayed, it didn't rain for three years. We need to learn how to pray. And abortion will only come down. It's a mega satanic a demonic angelic force that has that has grown to uh, control most of the nations of the world. You know in China, you have to abort if you have more than one baby. The reason there's so many you know we we have two or three people we know who were rescued because they were left to die in China because the family they had a defect or a cancer or a, or whatever and they, and they were left to die because the family didn't want to have their one kid that they were allowed to have to be, have any deformities and somebody r- rescued that kid. Now, often the families who abandoned them, try to abandon them at places like um, what do you call it? orphanages at night and places like that where they can hopefully not get caught, but, but still that maximize the chance of the baby being saved because they don't want to necessarily murder. They just don't want to raise that one baby because they can only raise one baby and the others they have to abort. Now, in Moloch worship, they had a statue of Moloch, and he had his hands like this, and they would heat up the statue until his hands were glowing hot. And when the glowing hot hands got hot enough, then they would put a baby in his hands and burn it to death. Now, believe me, that's the spirit behind the abortion industry of today. It's what you'll find is the ancient spirits. You know, a lot of what's going on in Los Angeles right now, is that as we become more and more of a pagan nation, and as our Christianity has gotten less spiritual warfare aspects and, and lots of other ways that it's getting less and less effective, the streets are returning to the ancient spirits that ruled those that area before. That's happening all over this country. The Canaanite spirits that that ruled this country uh, are are reasserting themselves and in neighborhoods and countrysides. Uh, the state always had this claim of state loyalties. Bail. I'm going to give you a couple things about some of these deities because they're coming back. You know how you know bail is coming back? Do you know what? Uh, when I was a kid, if you'd have told me that one of the deepest problems we'd have among teenagers is cutting themselves, I'd have said, What? that I've never heard of anyone cutting themselves well that started with baal worship remember when elijah was tormenting them and saying you know what is your god out taking a pee why what doesn't he answer by fire so they they start cutting themselves that's actually what the scripture says <laughs> they they start cutting themselves you know because actually as a as a culture returns you know people think that this whole tattoo thing and piercing thing is some neutral thing but the whole point of tattoos, the reason they were forbidden in the scripture is there the whole point of a tattoo is saying, my body belongs to whoever you're tattooing it to. Now that's why if you, know, I basically have conceded, if you got to tattoo yourself, then then put your favorite scripture verses and Christian symbols, Alpha Omega, the cr- crosses, crucifix, something, put something about that you're that you're the bond slave of Jesus on your body if you have to put something on your body like that. Of course, it won't mean anything unless it's circumcised in your heart. Anyway, but um, you know that all this revival of paganism, people are so blind. We what you'll find is the ancient cultures had this pseudo scientific mindset, and whenever you get this pseudo scientific mindset, I wish I could. uh, Develop this more if you're interested in this. Start with a book called The Word of Flux by Rousseau Sroshuni and study epistemology. But wherever there's this skepticism and unbelief, there's also a fascination with witchcraft and the occult. I meet many guys all the time who, uh, they're you know, they're chemistry majors, physics majors, biology majors, engineering majors, and they have various fascinations, uh, they have various unbeliefs that say, Oh, Christianity couldn't be that spiritual, you can't really have. What are you kidding? Casting out demons, tongues, prophecies? No, 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 we don't want any of that. You know, we want a God we can control more. And so, uh, and yet they always have all these tie ins to the occult. Because you know what? You were created to be spiritual and you were created to step out of the boat on an adventurous walk on the water with Jesus. And unless you encounter Jesus regularly that way, you'll go get that need met somewhere else. That's why. Uh, you know, uh, ask some somebody to have James Davis share his testimony to, with you. You know, the churches that outlaw the Holy Spirit have a lot of occult in them. Do you know the the Southern Baptist? Uh, and I usually don't pick on denominations, but on, uh, think of it as a bigger picture. Do you know that the Roman Catholics, the Reformed, the Lutherans? Most major denominations of Christianity have it as part of their bylaws and their covenants that you cannot be a Mason and be a member of that church, because Masonism is a Masonaries are it's another religion. It's not just a cult; it's a separate religion. It's an anti-Christ, anti-Christian religion to the core. Yet among Southern Baptists, the majority of pastors are Masons. Yet, they don't, but you've got to read the King James only, and we certainly don't have any speaking in tongues or casting out demons or prophecy, none of that. That all died with the apostles, and uh, the Holy Spirit doesn't act, act that way today. But they have total fascinations with witchcraft and Freemasonry and all kind of things going on, especially among the young people growing up in the church. That's why they leave, because they have more spiritual experiences when they start smoking marijuana, If you don't have spiritual experiences in God, you'll find them somewhere else. And that you know, smoking marijuana opens the door to demonic, false pieces, and so forth. It's not just about a chemical. The, remember the incarnation principle. The 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 spiritual and the physical are inextricably intertwined. Things you do to your body affect your spiritual. And every false pagan religion since ancient times has used mind altering drugs and mood altering drugs to get in touch with the spirits. And our kids are leaving our churches to go smoke pot because they're finding more spiritual experience in the pot. As I did as a kid, that's, you know, I didn't know it was spiritual, I just knew it was a lot more powerful and a lot cooler than what I had at church. Oh so God, set me free! Uh, now I'm really short on time, so let's go to point E. Uh, I wish I could have talked about Asherah. Asherah was a—I'm going to talk about it anyway. Asherah was a, 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 a uh, an idol that was that had like eighty some breast on her. Uh, but both Baal and Asherah were cults of sex, and uh, they were modern sex—you know—sexuality post '60s you just have sex with anybody you just met on the internet or you met at a bar and you, and they, they actually believed you had to copulate in the field so that you could have good harvest. And therefore they had male homosexual cult prostitutes that and all that, Baal was a phallic symbol and Asherah was a, a breast symbol. And of course, uh, in the new Testament they run right into Asherah. So, Moving on, biblical metaphors for the people of God. All through the Bible, it's important to understand the the people of the darkness are the people of Satan and his minions. But Satan and his minions have to be incarnated in order to be effective. So they seek, the demons seek to inhabit people's bodies, and the satanic angels seek to inhabit the mindsets and philosophies of a culture. I hope you understand that. And therefore all through the Bible the people of the evil one embody themselves in totalitarian states who take more and more of your paycheck and they more and more they're your savior and so forth and they're going to they they know what to do with your money and your family better than you do and they you have less and less freedom what to do with your kids or anything else. The ancient states were all that way, and therefore they always hated Abraham. They Cain hated Abel. They hate Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. They hate David. They hate the people of God. And so a, a major theme in the Bible is that Egypt is represents the kingdoms of this world, and Pharaoh represents Satan himself, and the Israelites... God sends them there as a metaphor to to say, I took you out of slavery. That slavery is not just to nothing, it's to the world, the flesh, and the devil, to your three insurmountable uh, enemies that every person has that no one can be saved from apart from Christ. I always love when I'm working with someone who's starting to read the Bible and considering and they say, I can't stop whatever it is, drinking, smoking marijuana, being a control freak, or whatever because you're on your way to a real encounter with Christ when you get, because that's the point. You have enemies and they are completely insurmountable. And you have got to finally just say, uncle or Lord, (laughs) you know, save me. Remember, remember in the movie Luther, when he uh, the, his, his pastor puts the, the cross in his hand and the crucifix in his hand, and he says, then bind yourself to Christ. Uh, you, you know, tie yourself to Christ and look, cry out, Jesus, save me. I am yours. I am yours. Christ, I am yours. Save me. That's not only what we start the Christian life with. That's what you've got to do every day if you aren't broken and humble enough to be saying, save me and walking out, if if you can't say, it's one thing to quote this, but it's another thing that it's worked into the fiber of your being. Galatians 2.20, Paul says, it's no longer I who live. I have been crucified with Christ. I have been, past tense, crucified with Christ. One of the reasons I believe, believe, you know, I don't, we don't Enforce this. You either build on your infant baptism or you get baptized after you're a Christian. But in either case, you have to look back to say, it's no longer I who live. John Gray doesn't live here anymore. He really doesn't. He's dead. He's at the bottom of some pond, probably in Alaska. <laughs> and, and, uh, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but in the life that I live in the flesh, in this body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and delivered himself for me. See, what? until God breaks us down enough, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven, we always reassert our own attempt to save ourselves. I get letters from people who say, ah, I've really got to clean up my act so I can do better in church. No You have to come and say, I could totally not even want to want to clean up my act. (laughs) You know, every area that I've actually got, I remember with marijuana, with, with sexual morality and stuff, when I got to the point where I said, Lord, not only can I not overcome it and be what you want me to be in this area, I can't even begin to want to want to be what you want me to be in this area. Save me. And that's usually when you'll start to feel some breakthrough. And that's the opposite of the religion of man. The religion of man wants to hang on to his pride. There's so much of that in the church. You know, that's what Galatians about. You begin with that desperation, and then after God cleans you up a little bit, you start to go, ah. <laughs> "Thank you, Lord. I'm sure <laughs> thanks. I got this now." <laughs> and uh, you begin and when you can always tell when you got this because you're less desperate for prayer you're less desperate for bible study you be, start to become more judgmental of your brothers and sisters and you're in your not i i had several occasions this week where people confessed other people's sins to me and <laughs> and when in fact they had deeper sins and going on in their own life that needed needed some help I really I actually had four 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 exact occasions this week where someone confessed someone else's sins to me who really should have been talking about their own sins that 's the religion of man so some metaphors for the people of Satan are darkness, captives enslaved idol worship the people of idol worshiping the people of this world, the people of the evil one, the people of Satan, the kingdoms of this world uh they're mystically in revelation called uh, Babylon and Sodom. In, uh, they're called the whore, they're called Egypt, Tyre. The people of God, there's more metaphors, thankfully, for the people of God in the scriptures. The people of the light, the people of the lampstand. A lampstand is where you put several lights, right? So a church is a lampstand, don't put your light under a bushel, but put it on a lampstand like we sing this for kids, but we never tell them what it means. It means live your life in such a deep, deep level of fellowship and community that First John is actually not some revelation to you, but where you live. I write these things in order that you may have fellowship with us, and indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ, and I'm writing this to you so that your joy may be complete. Uh, Paul talks about seeking the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, where we live in honesty and reconciliation. You know your kids are starting to you grow up. You know they're they're still, uh, you know, everyone's born into sin. They're still in in that kind of mode when they always come home and tell you what they what what went best at school got an A on my math test but they didn't tell you about the D they got on the spelling test when they actually start to to mature they'll actually tell you about the D they got on the spelling test now if you think that's fantasy land then I'm I would suggest you're underestimating the power of the gospel work with your kids according to the gospel and when, because you know what they if they got the a, really did get the a in the math test they probably don't need your help but if they got a d on the spelling test they probably need some help even some guidance about how to study for spelling or something or how to sneak a spell checker in their pack no <laughs> no probably, don't don't take them that way just kidding uh, The redeemed, the ransom, we're going to talk about, uh, uh, give a whole message to what it means to be redeemed or ransomed. The Lord's special treasure, the peculiar people, the vineyard, the bride, the mother. Um, I'm out of time. You can read all these things. Lastly, uh, the pagan empires, we've talked about this already, of the state, they embody darkness, Satan, and the kingdoms of this world. They always persecute but just I thought I'd list you a few of them so that as you go from Genesis through through the, in, through the to the New Testament, you can see them. They start with Shinar, which is Sumer, the Samaritans. They start with the Tower of Babel. They start with the Chaldeans. You know, by the way, everyone always says a- Abraham was this idol-worshiping pagan and God knocked him on his. That's because nobody studies history anymore, and that that's, grows out of the whole dispensational mindset of today. Abraham was of the Shem line. That's why we call being anti-Jewish, anti-Semitic. So Abraham wasn't some idol-worshiping pagan. He was a Yahwehist. And when God began to draw him and take him on a journey, he grew deeper in his relationship with Yahweh because of grace working through faith. And his servants that you see in the Bible were actually the people he proselytized, that he evangelized. He built a community. He built a church and there were people who said, I'd rather be in the household of Abraham and serve there than to be among the world's people, the people of darkness, the people of death and judgment. The Abraham's servants that you read about were actually converted Christians looking forward to the coming of our Lord and of our Christ, saved by faith the way Abraham was. He wasn't an idol worshiping pagan and they weren't like slaves in the sense of conquered slaves and all. They were voluntarily his servants because they saw, because he was the church. He was the senior pastor of the church of that day. And they would rather have endured ill treatment with the people of God than to be among the pagans. That's why it's a critical mistake I have a message called Lot's Mistake. When As Abraham grew and grew and in the, in the one geographical area couldn't support him as much anymore because God has always intended the people of faith to grow enough that they have to plant new churches. That's always been his intention. Lot's guys start fighting with Abraham's guy and Abraham says, okay, you can get out of your covenant if you want. If you want, take your people and go a different way. He should have said, oh, Abraham, don't let that happen. I will get my servants in line. I am so sorry. You are the man that God has chosen and going forward with, and you are the Yahwehist here, And I, I, and he instead chose to go live with Sodom and Gomorrah. Now, it's one thing to move into East Dayton, Sodom and Gomorrah. No, uh, when you, uh, I'm just kidding, when, when you have a mission there and you have other people and accountability and a community, it's another thing that you just want to live there because you love the dark people. Lot made one of the greatest mistakes in the history of the Bible, and he chose to leave the covenant purposes of God in the community of the redeemed to live among the most ungodly people. And he ended up not only losing his wife, but being humiliated because his daughters tricked him into having sex with them. Anyway, Egypt, pharaoh worship, type of Satan, slavers of the Hebrews, worldly power, vainglory, wealth. That's what Egypt represents when you read it in Genesis and Exodus. And it various pagan states near the promised land, first the Canaanites, Remember, God said to Abraham that they would be slaves in a foreign land because the wickedness of the Canaanites or the Amalekites is not full yet, and they they became so wicked that there was no righteous thing to do except eliminate them. That's how they became as perverse as Sodom and Gomorrah. If you don't think that's perverse, read the story of the Levite who, uh, you know, comes. And they rape his concubine all night and so forth. That, you know, we, we think, we just don't get what evil is sometimes. Like, oh my God, God killed the Canaanites? Yeah, they killed, if you came and stayed in their town at night, they would rape you all night and kill you. Well, of course, they, it goes on to uh, the, the Chaldeans, the Babylonians, the Assyrians, the Medes, the Persians, the Greeks, and the Romans. Daniel talks about this and prophesies the coming of these kingdoms and so forth. But all of them persecute the people of God. All of them hinder, try to hinder the purposes of God. All of them worship man and his state and his ability to save you from yourself, Uh You know, when Nietzsche, a a somewhat modern German philosopher, said the state is God walking on the face of the earth, he wasn't saying something new. Well, I'm 10 minutes past my time, so uh, hopefully hopefully this is eye-opening to you and help you read your Bible and get more out of it.